Welcome back. Well, thank you, Ed, for sharing that. We, we saw a lot of kids leaving. Some were happy. Um, you know, a few stories about, about kids. It's, it's wonderful. So um, Kathy mentioned it a little bit earlier where she said that one of the little boys was so excited to raise money for that playground in Kyrgyzstan that he, he had a lemonade stand on Wednesday and made $15 in his lemonade stand. But it wasn't just from people that came by the lemonade stand because you only sell it at 50 cents a cup. His mom put it on Facebook and people were PayPaling money. They couldn't even stop by for the lemonade, but they were PayPaling money to him. And I just thought, what, a, what an awesome opportunity for, for kids to see how do, how do they reach out and, and touch kids that are, that are uh, elsewhere. So I, I want to give you a couple of reasons why I love Kids Camp. And I'd say probably the number one reason why I love Kids Camp is it ministers to kids. And there's nothing more precious to God than little children, right? I, I think sometimes we forget how much God loves kids. He really does. I mean, he loves us all, but he super duper loves the kids. And for us to be able to minister to your kids, it's just such a, such a crazy privilege that we have. Um, we shared a lot of things with kids, and we heard about some of their struggles, as Kathy was mentioning. And, and some kids were worried about, would they ever see their families again? They're in foster care or, or different situations. Some, some had been bullied uh, and, and seen you know, their classmates uh, take their life. And they're in elementary school, right? So, you know, kids today, they have worries that we used to worry about as adults 10 or 20 years ago. They, they're dealing with some serious, serious issues. And for us to have an ability to minister to kids, that just, it's, it's over the top for us. But I, I couldn't think that, you know, when I'm listening to all these things, Kids Camp also ministers to us as adults. And there's been times where you know, I'm sitting in here and I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm watching other crew leaders and I'm watching other parents, even in the closing ceremony. And you just see people getting choked up with the messages of, okay, when you're lonely, Jesus rescues. Like that means something to a kid, but doesn't it mean something to us as adults as well? Like, have you ever dealt with loneliness? You feel like, you know what, I don't fit in. Sometimes I can even come to a, a crowd of people and I feel out of place. I, I don't know who to talk to. I'm a little nervous. Or, like, when we're lonely, Jesus rescues. When we worry, when we struggle, Jesus rescues. Tuesday night, you know what? Frankly, I was worried when the power went out at 4.30. I'm like, how are we going to put kids camp on? And then it was, are we going to be able to put kids camp on? How are we going to let everybody know? Right? That, we're, that there is no kids camp. So hopefully you got that message in time. We, we wanted to wait and we're hoping and believing that maybe the power would come on, but then we got a note from Eversource that they intentionally shut it off and it was going to be off until 8.30 and that, then it was easier to call it. But, you know, that was a very real time where we had to say, okay, we're worried about tonight, but, but Jesus rescues us. He comes and, and he, he's there. So we have to hold on. When we do wrong, when we're powerless, Jesus rescues. Have you ever made a mistake in your life? Yeah, I'm sure we've all made a mistake, probably multiple mistakes in a day. When we do wrong, Jesus rescues us. He's there for us, and that's one of the most powerful things about it. So it ministers to adults, but you know what? It also ministers to me personally. So there's been some things lately that I've gone through. I shared this uh, a couple of weeks ago 
we went on vacation, my wife and I and the whole family a couple weeks ago, and, and on the way going to vacation, the car is just jammed full of stuff. Thankfully, it was just my wife and I because all the kids were coming separately and the grandkids and whatnot. We had like a hitch haul on the back with the beach chairs and the wagon and the beach buggies and everything, and we got in a really bad accident on Merritt Parkway and totaled the car. All the beach chairs, you know, just smashed from the back, and we were okay, thankfully, but everything, you know, the car was a, was a total loss. So I'm thinking as we're going through, hey, when you're worried, Jesus rescues. And I'm like, okay, God, I'm in the middle of settling with the insurance company, trying to figure out what kind of car I can buy. You know, if you've got a newer car, you never get as much as you paid for it, and, and you got all that loss to deal with. Hey, but Jesus is there for me personally, right? He rescues us, and, and we can trust him in these things. So I, I just thought for a minute, I wanted to share some of the lyrics that we heard uh, all week long, and we sang some of them even this morning. Through every storm of life, I know you're by my side, so I'm holding on to your promises. You know, and if you've ever been told that if you trust your life to Jesus, he'll make your life new, you're right. You've been told the right thing. But maybe some of us might have heard when we were a kid, if you trust your life to Jesus, you're never going to have another problem. You know what? That's not, that's not in the word of God. I hate to say that, right? Christians have problems. People that believe in God have problems. When I was on the Merritt Parkway on the side of the road for an hour and a half with people taking video as they're going by because the car behind me caught on fire, it was a crazy, crazy accident, I'm thinking, God, you know what? This is my storm, but you're there for me. Your grace is sufficient for me. I can trust you right in the middle of this. So this is what God's word has to say in Hebrews, that he will never leave us or forsake us doesn't say your life is going to be great, it's going to be beautiful, but he says he'll never leave you or forsake you. So you know that no matter what you're going through, Jesus is always there for you. He'll never leave us or forsake us. That's the promise in his word that we hold on to. We can also read in John 16, it says, in this world, you will have trouble, right? Jesus was telling this to, to all the people and he's being honest. You're going to have trouble in this world, but, but take heart because I've overcome the world. That's God's word to us that we can hold on to in the middle of any situation that, we go, that we're going through. One other lyric that really stuck out to me was this one. It says, you gave me hope when hope was all but gone, a second chance to sing a brand new song. You know, what, what I'm really grateful for is that God doesn't just give us a second chance. He gives us another chance. How many of you know two is not enough, right? I need way more than two even in one day. I need multiple chances to get it right. And I still often don't get it right. But God is there for us. He gives us another chance. And this is what his word has to say. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with us. He's not wanting any of us to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Aren't you glad that God is patient? You know, think about us as parents sometimes. It's hard to be patient with your kids when they're like, mommy, 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 mommy. Okay, stop momming me. That was me to my mom when I was little. <laughs> I was one of those mommy kids. But God is not impatient. He's slow to anger. He doesn't want any one of us to perish. This is what it says in Romans 2.4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Think about that. God's kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. Right? We all have sin in our life. We know that, but it's God's kindness. It's his love for us. It's his grace that he pours out for us. 
that he wants us to turn from our sin because we need that love, we need that grace, we need his presence in our life. So I know that as we go through kids camp and we sing all these songs, some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, Greg, that's great for the kids and I'm sure it ministered to the kids and I'm happy my kid was here, but you don't know what I'm going through. Like, I, I see the words, you give me hope when hope is all but gone, but if you knew my situation, maybe you'd agree with me, hope is almost all but gone. Right, well, I, I, I want to go beyond just the words and the lyrics of the songs and talk about some realities that we see and, and get to this message about which criminal are you. And I want to talk to you about a story of three criminals. One was Jesus, and two were two men beside him that got crucified on, on one day. See, Rome had sentenced three people to die, but we often think about Jesus, and we don't think about the two men that were on either side of them. Now, in a crucifixion, as many of you can probably imagine, it's a slow death, right? They're, they're not shooting you with a bullet. They're not spearing you. You're up there hanging until basically you, you asphyxiate. You, you can't breathe anymore. So you got time on your hands. And a conversation ensues between Jesus and these two criminals that are on either side of him. And we're going to take a look uh, into John, uh, Luke 23, verse 39 to 43. And I'm just going to read this story to you as you consider what was it like that day? where Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been bloodied. He's had to carry his cross all the way up to Golgotha. He's exhausted. These other two guys, they're, they're there. They're probably fresher than Jesus is, but they're all dying. They're all taking their last breaths. And this conversation ensues, and, and we're going to look at it here in, in Luke 23, verses 39. One of the criminals hanging beside Jesus scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. So maybe it makes more sense now when I ask you this question, which criminal are you? Because you know what, saints? We're all criminals. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of who God is. None of us are perfect. We know that. We make mistakes. And there were two people that were condemned to die that day, just like you and I are condemned to die for our sin. They were next to Jesus, hanging one on one side, one on the other side. And they had this crazy conversation where one was kind of blaming God, saying, hey, if you're really the Messiah, then prove it. Rescue me. Rescue yourself. And the other was like, hey, wait a minute, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, you have the power to save. Could, could I be with you today in paradise? And, and there's sometimes this drama that plays out in our life. Which one are we? Which criminal are we? So I'm going to ask Jason Ferrer to come. He's going to share his testimony, and then we're going to pick up the message. Come on up, Jay. Good morning, Shiloh. Good morning. All right, so um, first off, you are very hard to follow up on. I'm, I'm serious. Coming behind you doesn't make anything easier. So I've been thinking a lot about what I'm going to say. Said some things first service to kind of change it up a little bit, bring it in. But um, so first service, we talked a little bit about bullying. Bullying is what kind of started my downward spiral in life. I was bullied a lot. Um, up until I was about 13. By the age of 13, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to get bullied anymore. I'm going to hang out with gang members. There, no one's going to bother me. I'm in a gang. I was selling guns. I was selling drugs. 
doing a lot of things I shouldn't do. I did this most of my life until I was about 19. And first thing, also, I'm going to disclose with you, everything I'm giving you is complete transparency. Um, my fiance's back there and hasn't heard a lot of this in my life, so I, I want you guys to know that. So 13 th through 19, it was fighting, it was gangs, it was drugs, it was everything that you can think of. Never once in my life did I stop to think about Jesus, was there a Jesus, is there a God, anything. Life just continued down. 20, I kind of was like, you know what, I'm not going to you know, sell drugs, I'm not going to get involved in gangs anymore. That made me a good citizen. 25, I went to jail for my past discretions. In that time, I had to see my daughter who was just born through glass. Definitely not a way you want to ever remember any part of your child's life, I promise. At that time, I still, I was in jail. I wasn't reaching out to God. I was looking for people to blame. Everyone else besides me. I wasn't looking for that hope. I wasn't realizing that Jesus, no matter what we do in life, truly does rescue us, like Pastor Greg says, no matter what. So I had my own way of thinking. After my, my kids were born, I got out of jail. I started to really kind of try to reacclimate my life a lot. Didn't, didn't do so well. Failed. Started to recognize, you know, all right, I got to do something differently. My brother was murdered in 2013, just walking down the street. Someone wanted his wallet. He didn't want to give it. They shot him. Killed right then and there. Now I got God in my life because now I got someone to blame besides the shooter. I was angry. I cursed God. I had to do anything I had to do to make myself feel better. Now God's here. A year later, I was hit by a car going over 100 miles an hour on my motorcycle and hit a guardrail. I broke everything. When I say everything, I mean my skull, my face, my neck, my back, every rib in my body. Both my lungs were punctured and collapsed. I had brain damage, broke my whole face, my clavicle, my shoulder, my legs, and I mean everything. Flatlined on the side of the road. Somehow, miraculously, after four minutes, they got me back. Flew to Boston. 39 and a half hours of surgery in there. I became brain dead, unresponsive, so they put me on life support. I was in a coma. During that time being in a coma, who knows what was going on, but from what I heard, my family was always there. My mother, who always believed in God, huge prayer, huge prayer about everything, just sat and continuously prayed while doctors kept telling her there's no hope. Pull the plug on your son, so on. My mother, luckily, knew Jesus rescues. The doctors wanted her to donate my organs. She wouldn't do it. She said she's going to be there. I was in a coma, not for, you know, a day or, or you know, a couple hours, for weeks at a time. Nothing. Unresponsive. In my coma, my family, you know, doing a little praying around me. My mother got up to go get some coffee. During that, my family heard me start talking to my brother. And I'm brain dead. Unresponsive. There's no way clinically that someone can come back from this. Started talking to my brother who was just killed. The last thing they heard me say was, Mark, you sound really stupid. I am looking right at you. My eyes are open. My eyes open. Like, I wish I could make this up. My eyes open. So now I'm back from the coma. They say, well, it just could be responsive. We don't know doctors. No. I, I came back. Again, at that point in my life, I still didn't realize how much Jesus truly rescued me. Not even a little bit deserving of this guy. Not even this much. At least that's how I felt. I didn't realize how deserving we all truly are. 
So I get out, and they tell her, well, he's awake, but we don't know if he's going to come back to normal, and he's probably never going to walk again, because what a lot of people don't know is I also crushed my C7. The C7 is a vertebrae spine that cripples you. I was never supposed to walk again. I couldn't you know, feel them doing the little probe tasks on my feet. Pretty good today. So at this point in my life, I really started to turn everything around and truly started to realize, you know, now I have someone to thank. Not just blame for all my problems, but thank. Because I was someone that my life was so down, and it was all my actions, of course, but I was so down and dark in my life that I never truly realized how much Jesus loved us. And I can't say enough how much he truly has rescued me and continues to do so on this day. I mean, everything in my life just continuously gets better. Now, there's still obstacles. The closer I got to Jesus, I also realized there's a lot that keeps coming my way now. But if I keep staying where I am and staying with Jesus, I keep getting better and better. My life truly just keeps getting better and better. And now at 35, I can look back through all those troubling days. I mean, I was shot twice in my life at 16 and 19. And all the times where I was blaming there's no God, there's no this. Wow, you know what? He was there, there. Oh, wait a minute. This didn't happen. This happened, but that didn't. He was there. So now I can truly appreciate and realize that Jesus, no matter what we do, he ain't ever given up on you. And he 100% rescues you. So because of that and because of all of you here, like, I am here. I'm the man I am and the man I'm truly be able to become. So I want to thank all of you all. And I, I got to do this for Blake. So once again, Jesus rescues. Hold on. Thank you, guys. Oh, that was a storm. Okay, yeah. Uh, Jesus rescues us in the middle of the storm, right? Um, you know, I, I remember Jay when he first came to the church, and he was just starting, didn't really understand what it meant to, to follow God, but he knew there was something he had to be thankful for because he was alive. I remember praying with him when he made a decision that, you know what, if there's a God, I want to get to know him, and he, and he prayed to receive Jesus and got water baptized. But you know what, there also came a time after that where he was really struggling in his faith. And, and I remember getting a text and, and uh, his, his uncle got the same text. You know what, I don't believe in God anymore. All these things are going wrong. I just can't believe there's a God. And, and we started to show him, okay, this is what the word of God has to say. You got to get grounded that, okay, just coming to know Jesus doesn't mean your life is going to be better in an instant. Doesn't mean every situation is going to turn around for the good instantly. Something I've, I've always remembered is um, making chocolate chip cookies when I was younger, right? And if you've ever made a chocolate chip cookie or sat with your mom making chocolate chip cookies, you know they've got a lot of ingredients that you have to put, put all together, right? And, and what's that one thing that all kids love to have when they're making chocolate chip cookies? They love to have the chocolate chips or they love just the cookie dough, even before you bake it, right? But if you take a chocolate chip or you take cookie dough, that tastes amazing. Did you ever try to taste flour on its own? Or taste the vanilla extract on its own? It tastes awful. But yet all those ingredients are necessary to make chocolate chip cookies, right? You can't have a cookie without all those things. And sometimes 
we'll look at the situations in our life and say, this stinks. You could use a more explicative word if you want, but this stinks. It's, the, it's like vanilla extract. It doesn't taste good. But you know what? God is still in the process of making chocolate chip cookies or substitute your favorite meal or, or whatever. But not every ingredient in life is going to be good. But God says he's going to work all things together for, the, for his good and for our good. So now I want to get back to this thought. Which criminal are we? So the first criminal said this. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. And some of us may, may not even know God or some of us may look at God and want to blame God like Jay did and say, you know what, Jesus, if you're on the cross and I'm on the cross, then you should do something about it. You should take yourself off and you should take me off the cross. Right? And, and that may be the relationship that you have as, as you think about God. But the second criminal he approached God in a different way. He's like, no, you know what? There's something about God I need to understand and I need to appreciate. And, and, and he, he scolded the first one. said, don't you fear God even when, you're, even when you're dying? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And, and then he went to Jesus and just, Jesus, could I be with you today in paradise? So which one are we today? Are we the skeptic that's looking at Jesus and saying, you know what? I'm not sure if you're real. I've not seen your power. I've not seen you really do anything in my life. You don't make sense. Maybe that's where you're at today. And you know what? It's okay to be at that place, to be honest with God. But I want to let you know, just like Jay's story, you don't have to stay there. Now, you may not have as crazy a story as Jay. You may have not been shot twice and been in a coma for months on end and broken every bone in your body. But we all go through stuff that causes us to wonder and causes us to question. What is it that, cause, that, that might be causing you to wonder or question? Is there really a God? Or what about the second criminal here that said, you know what, I understand you, Lord, and I know I, I have a need for you. But I want to point for a minute to the third cross, which was Jesus, and ask this question, why did Jesus have to die? Like, God, really? Would you ever take, if you've, got, if you've got a number of kids, I've got four kids, I can't even imagine having one kid that did something so wrong, they need to die and saying, okay, you know what, you're not going to die, instead I'm going to sacrifice this other child of mine in your place. That's like a no-win situation. Why? How, could, how could God the Father ever sentence Jesus to die? But see, what happened on the cross was Rome sentenced three people to die, but God sentenced Jesus to die. And maybe you never heard this growing up, that, that God sentenced his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for a reason. See, this, this one criminal that said, Jesus, if you're real, prove it, prove it by getting off the cross. You know what I'd submit to you today? Jesus proved it by staying on the cross. He, he didn't have to stay there. He was fully capable of saying, you know what? Boom, I'm busting out of this joint. And he could have saved himself. But because of his love, he bore the sentence from his father to die, to bear my sin and your sin. So, so where do we see this in God's word? This is what we find in Isaiah 53. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. You know, and the, the message of the gospel is this. God has a path for each one of us. God has a plan for each one of us that we would go through life in a way that would glorify him and, and show others his, his presence. But you know what? Many of us have strayed. We've never known him. We've never come to him. We've not been brought up that way. 
and we've left God's path to follow our own path. God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. That's what it means when it says that the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So all of my sins on Jesus' shoulders. All of your sins on Jesus' shoulders. All the sins of the people that have lived before us on his shoulders. All the sins of the people that are going to be born after us on his shoulders. In one day, Jesus bore the sin of the world on his perfect body so that he would make a way that we could find eternal life by looking at him and believing in him. So this is what it says in the Gospel of John, verse 3. It says that God loved us so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die, that if we would believe in him, we would not perish, but we'd have eternal life. So a lot of us may think, you know what? I believe in God. Yeah, I, I know Jesus. I believe in him. Well, you know what? It's... Or, or sometimes I'll ask people, do you believe in God? And they'll tell me, well, I come to church every Sunday. And that's wonderful that you come to church, but if I slept in my garage overnight, it doesn't make me a car. Coming to church doesn't make you a believer in Jesus. It just means that you're sitting with us in community. But there's got to be a point in all of our lives where we have to say to the Lord, you know what? Would, I, would you take me in paradise today? Could I be in paradise with you? Just like that one, that one criminal. We're all criminals, but would you reach out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to rescue me. Because if we don't ask him for rescuing, we are those sheep that have strayed away. We are those sheep that are following our own path and walking our own way. So let's think about this word believe for a minute. When Jesus says, or when God says in his word, if you believe in my son Jesus, you will be saved. I grew up in the church. I grew up in faith, believing in God. But I didn't understand that what the word believe really means, that it means something more than just believing in a God. Right? And, and uh, I remember years ago when I was younger, my family took a trip to Niagara Falls. I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls before or not. Anybody been to Niagara Falls? Yeah, it's a wonderful place. I suggest you go visit. So if you ever go, go to the, go to the little gift shop and start to read the book that they have about the history of Niagara Falls. And you'll find, I think it was back in the 40s, there was this guy for a promotional stunt, he decided to stretch a tightrope wire across the falls. And, and he was walking with a big pole across the Niagara Falls, no net, uh, as a promotion. And like a lot of people had gathered, and I know recently there was someone else that, that did this stunt, you know, in the, in the last couple of years. But this is back in the 40s, this guy was doing it. And he's walking with this, with a long pole, walking across the type of wire, and he makes it all the way across the falls. So when he gets to the other side, he's going to do it again, and he says to his manager, do you believe that I can, can walk across the falls? And his manager says, well, yeah, I've seen you walk skyscrapers. I've seen you walk this. You, you just walked it in the last hour, and now you're going to walk it again. So then this man says to his manager, well, if you believe that I can walk across the falls, I want you to climb on with me piggyback. Okay, that's a whole different kind of belief. Are you, you understand what I'm saying now? So you want me to do what? You want me to, to hang on to you piggyback and go across, well, you walk across the falls. Yeah, I don't know if I believe in you that much. But they've got a picture in the gift shop. I wish I had it in my slides. But they've got a picture of this guy walking across the falls and another guy holding on to him piggyback. And they both went across the falls that day. Unbelievable. But that's the best example I can give you of what it means to believe in Jesus. It's not a head knowledge belief. It's, it's a belief that you say, God, you died on the cross for me. Now I'm going to live for you. I'm going to give you my life to live for you because you have a path for me to follow. 
God, I'm just spinning. It's like I'm caught in an eddy. I'm going around in circles. God, I need to get on your path, not on my own path. I'm like that sheep that's strayed away. That's the belief. When you say to Jesus, I'm going to give you my life. Now, Lord, live through me. That's the belief that Jesus is talking about, that if you believe on me, you will be saved. So I want to ask you a question. What is it that you need rescuing from today? Right, we all need rescuing from something. That's clear. We all admitted earlier that we've made mistakes. Maybe some of them are small. Maybe some of them are really big. Maybe some of them are as big as Jay's or even bigger. I don't know. That was a pretty crazy story, Jay, though. I'm not going to lie. Um, I didn't know some of that stuff either until today. Uh, but you know, what is it that we need rescuing from? It could be loneliness. It could be worry. It could be something we're struggling with, maybe an addiction. It could be we're feeling powerless at times. God, I'm, I'm just not advancing in my career like you want me to advance. I feel powerless in that. Jesus is there. But most rescues that I know of start with a flare, right? If, think about, we, we looked at this in kids' camp and, and we talked about rescue on Thursday night. They had the, the flare set out by the side of the road to warn other drivers at nighttime that, hey, we need rescuing. And they put the flares out. Or they showed a flare for a boat uh, if you're out at sea and they put this big, you know, flare that goes up in the sky, big red flare. And all the kids then were given uh, glow sticks and they had their own flare to, to raise up to Jesus. So, so what would your flare be about today? What would you say to the Lord? God, I need you to rescue me about this situation or that situation. I believe Jesus is here and I believe that he answers prayer when, when we pray according to his word. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me here and we're going to close service. And we're going to ask Jesus to rescue us. So while you're standing, if you would just bow your head and close your eyes with me, I, I want to ask you this question again. What do you need rescuing from? You know, maybe there's never been a time in your life you, you'd say, Greg, I've believed about God, but I've not believed in him like you just mentioned where I've given him my life. I've never prayed to, to say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Would you forgive me of my sins? Jesus, I want to be in paradise with you. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, if you've never started a relationship with Jesus, Jesus died on the cross for you because he wants a relationship with you. Not, not that you go to a church, but he wants a relationship with you. And that relationship has a starting point. The starting point is when you give your life to him. So if you've never prayed a prayer like that to give your life to Jesus, would you raise your hand so I could pray with you? Thank you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Do raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. See that hand. Anyone else? Would you raise your hand so I could pray with you? Thank you. All right, you can put your hands down. And next, I want to ask this question. If you need rescuing from something, if you know Jesus today, maybe you've walked away from him, or maybe you're just going through life and you're tasting vanilla extract right now, and it's just, it's, it's bitter and it's awful, and you need God to rescue you from a very specific situation, I want to pray for you as well. Would you raise your hand? If you've got a sp specific situation in mind, yeah, I see hands coming up all over the place. So you know what, saints, I can only believe in God's word and I can only operate according to God's word. That God's word says that if we believe in him, if we can believe in him in our heart and confess him with our mouths, that we will be saved. So I'm going to ask all of us together to repeat after me in a prayer because this is our confession to God. We're, we're saying it out loud because we're confessing it to him to just put our faith in him. So would you pray with me and, and let's, let's believe in Jesus together. Dear God, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus 
to die on the cross in my place to pay the penalty for my sin God I'm sorry for my sin I ask for your forgiveness Jesus I want you to live in my life show me the path you have for me God I choose today to live for you in Jesus name in Jesus name you know so saints if you've prayed that prayer today I believe today is the start of a new relationship with God and I, and I want to help encourage anyone that's prayed that prayer I've got a book I want to give out to you if you come up after service we're going to have people here praying for you it's called living in Christ and it, it explains more about what it means to, to follow after God and to live for him. And it gives us hope in, in how to live for him. So if, if you've prayed that prayer, I'm asking you to come up and, and receive one of these books today. There'll be people here afterwards. But now I want to go into prayer and pray for those of you that raised your hands about a specific need. So, so let's go back into prayer together. God, I, I thank you for each hand that was raised, Lord, about a situation or, or a circumstance that they're in, God, where they need your rescue. God, we're shooting up our flares today, oh God. We're shooting them up, Jesus, and, and we can only ask you, God, that you would provide grace to help in time of need. Lord, Hebrews says that Jesus is a high priest that knows our weaknesses. He bore all the temptation and all the sin on his back. He knows what it feels like to be going through what we're going through. So God, we come to you today and I ask that you intervene, God. Lord, would you see our flare? Would you come in a very present way? Lord, your word says clearly, God, that we should be anxious for nothing, but with our prayer, we, we turn the situation over to you and you will give us the peace that passes understanding. So God, we take these situations and we, we put them at your feet, Lord God. We turn them over to you, God, and I ask for the peace that passes understanding. I ask for your grace. I ask for your love to come and fill each heart, God. Lord, we, we thank you that your burden is easy and your yoke is light. So God, if, if we're feeling the, the crushing weight, we're taking on something that you haven't intended us to take on. We turn these burdens over to you. We lay them down at the foot of your cross, God. Lord, you lift the burden from us, God. Show us, show us your path. Show us, show us your way out of the situations that we're in. We trust you in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. I've got one other gift I want to give out today. If, if you're going through one of those moments where it just feels like the weight of the world is on you and you need Jesus to rescue you, this is another book I want to give to you. It's called 30 Discipleship Exercises. It's wonderful Bible studies about God's assurance, about his love, about how to find his peace. So this could really help you out as well. So I'm going to invite now, we've got people that are willing to pray with you if you want to come up for prayer to receive one of these books. We don't want to just give you a book. We want to pray specifically about your situation too. So these people are here. Please feel free to come up and, and pray with us. Um, it's 11.35 and, and next door they're planning on me being done at 11.45. So I'm going to ask all, all of you to just hang out before you go get your kids. Give them another 10 minutes because they wanted to make it through the Sunday school lesson that a lot of the kids missed on Tuesday night. So thank you so much for coming. We appreciate it. And if you need prayer, feel free to come forward now. But uh, this service is, is closed. You're dismissed. Thank you.